Hello, I'm Kathy. And I'm Gary. And this is Torah Talk. Welcome to Torah Talk, the intersection of the mundane and the miraculous. Here we have bold conversations about faith, culture, and politics, and where we fit into God's plans in the 21st century. If you could partner with God, would you? I'm going to start today with a couple of easy questions. First, how many of you in our audience enjoy eating bread? Pretty easy. (laughs) (laughs) I do. Okay. Second, how many of you limit your intake of bread because of health or weight reasons? My guess is there's a lot of you who answered affirmatively in well, that. Over the years, carbs has been you know, considered to be Con- an issue. Exactly, right? exactly. Yeah. So what if I told you that the bread that most of us are eating is actually the bread of death, but that there is a very real bread of life? Now, of course, many of you already know that Jesus, Yeshua, described himself as the bread of life. If we partake of him, we will never be spiritually hungry. But here's the really cool thing, and this is what got me hooked on this topic of bread. I've been training myself to see everything through heaven's eyes. And hopefully, those of you who've been listening to our podcast are learning how to look at every topic on two levels. One is physical, and one is spiritual. Most of the time, our Greek-thinking minds separate these two realms. But we shouldn't. Each realm tells us something about the other. And bread is no different. The Bible says much about bread. The prophet Isaiah warns us not to spend our money on that which is not bread. And I'm here to tell you that that is exactly what we've been doing. The enemy has not only corrupted our daily bread through human greed and misplaced priorities, but he's also been the source of an anti-bread campaign that's cleverly designed to separate us from our physical and spiritual daily bread. On top of that, we have outsourced our family's health to large corporations in the name of convenience. Our priorities are all wrong, and our families are paying for it with all sorts of illnesses, both physical, mental, and spiritual weaknesses. Today, you will learn what it means when Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, and what this daily bread means for both our spiritual and physical well-being. I'm hoping this podcast will change the way you think about bread and put you on a path toward physical and spiritual health and healing. So let's talk about bread and let's talk Torah. Long ago, God declared his redemptive plans for the world he created. Unfortunately, most people have ignored these plans. Now, As the end draws near, believers and non-believers are being irresistibly drawn to the celebration of the biblical feasts which outline God's plan of redemption for mankind and the world. If you found yourself curious about the biblical feasts and you want to know how and why Christians celebrate these holidays, read Declaring the End from the Beginning, Our Past and Future Revealed in the Biblical Feasts. In this book, Author Kathy Martirosian delves into the history and culture surrounding the biblical feast days of ancient Israel, as well as how Yeshua, our Messiah, has fulfilled four of these holy days in the past and how he will fulfill the other three 
when he returns. Visit TorahTalk21.com to purchase Declaring the End from the Beginning, our past and future revealed in the Biblical Feasts. Gary, I bet it wasn't a surprise that I decided to do this topic right no, now. No, not, not after what I've witnessed over the last few months. And uh, my wife obviously got involved in making the bread here, and it's been fantastic. You know, what Gary's talking about and what we're referencing here is that locally our, our group of friends and so mm-hmm. forth have just fairly recently got into this um, uh, idea, this plan, this uh, practice of milling and baking our own bread from whole grains. And we are so excited about it because many of us have noticed distinctly um, physical benefits from this. And I think nobody, maybe even more so than your wife, Gary. Oh, she, she said, she, you know, she has felt so much better since doing this. And she misses it when if you have to get busy and we don't get a chance, uh, she doesn't bake or something, she misses it. Well, you know, and even with my husband, who has been gluten intolerant for mm. as long as I can remember, he eats this bread every single day. I pack it for him every day, and mm-hmm. he's been perfectly fine. So in that way, it almost seems miraculous to us. That's amazing. It, it is amazing. And, and I, I just love the taste. I've enjoyed it. Everything she's made. I mean, she's made and everything from cinnamon buns to, you know, cornbread to regular bread. And, it's just and, and most of you in the audience are probably thinking, wait, what are they talking about here? What do you mean you're talking about? Gary's talking about cinnamon buns, and Kathy's saying something about health. <laughs> But it's well, you know. I, I, let me say this before you go on. You know, when you were reading the uh, the opening, um, I was thinking. You know, is our audience going to think now we've we've got a conspiracy theory about bread? But honestly, I don't think anybody could doubt if you really have your eyes open that our a system of corporate greed that we have often uh, puts profit over over benefits health you know health benefits we've seen that over the years and so then you slowly see the new things introduced to the market to try to overcome the the problems that we've created that we created right? ourselves so that's nothing new and i don't think i should realize where this is not a conspiracy theory this is just going back to the basics of of, of good health practices when it comes to preparing food. Thank you for clarifying that because it almost seems too good to be true. And I Mm -hmm. am not right now going to let you know, I'm not saying this is going to cure all that ails you, but all I can say is I can speak to what the eating of this whole grain bread has done for my family and for my friends. And, um, and it's been it's it's been life changing, and I'm so I'm thrilled that I've been able to find out more about it. Now, last week um, I was attending something. We do something here locally called Truth Fest, and it's kind of a monthly meeting with communities. You know, the community, like-minded believers, patriots, all trying to get the truth of different topics. So I spoke a couple minutes, and I was going to tell the every I was telling everybody that I'm going to do a bread class, and so people came up to me afterwards and said, so you're the bread lady. And, and so Gary, it kind of freaked me out a little bit. And I was like, I don't think I'm the bread lady. You know, I never saw myself as the bread lady, but here I am teaching about baking this bread. I, I think you, I would call you the truth lady. May, and, I'm the truth lady. When you found out the truth about bread. bread then I have to, that's how yeah. I am with everything. As soon as I find out something that's true, that's exciting, that has these deep spiritual implications, right. then I have to share it. Now, whether or not I'm going to run around teach everybody how to make bread, I don't know. In fact, I want to say, and I want to give credit where credit is due, 
The person that I've learned this uh, from the most is a woman named Sue Becker. Uh, a podcast podcast uh, website is breadbeckers.com. She has YouTube. She's got videos and um, classes that she teaches about bread. She is a food scientist. I am not a food scientist. Right. It's good uh, to make that clear. Yeah, exactly. Too, exactly. Yeah. So I'm getting my information from her and then I used hers as a, a bouncing off place to get more information. But the component that I've really been delving into is the spiritual component right and, and, what I, Taurus and that's says. a strength you know to, to take to take what she has started and really bring it uh, bring a reference to what this what the word says about exactly and, and you're right Gary what we're talking about is nothing new it's the going back going it's back. the restoration it's all part of the restoration and those of you in our audience know that this is what we're all about yeah that would be another title for you the restoration lady I think okay that's it that's it that's it much more than the bread lady <laughs> So I think that most of you know, if you're believers, you know uh, John 6 and, and where Jesus talked to, uh, told his disciples and equated himself with his bread of life. But let's go ahead and start there by reading the word. Gary, could you read that for us sure. from John 6? Sure. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give me and we, and, and we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very true, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty." So that's the uh, basis of what we're going to be talking about today. It's that connection between the physical and the spiritual. All tied up here in this one verse, and we're going to see it in a lot of other verses too. And we have with our Greek minds always tried to separate those two uh, realms or, you know, and, and that they shouldn't overlap. But we can't do that, Gary. I think that no. we have been learning and hopefully sharing with you that, that, that we have to understand almost everything on both of those levels. Totally agree. I mean, we have it in our, in our tagline, you know, the, the intersection of the mundane and the miraculous. We need to understand we're living where we, we don't want to compartmentalize, as you're saying. Our That's faith, very Greek. Yeah, our faith versus our everyday life. It should all, it should generate, our faith should generate everything or be the basis of all of our decisions. It should, should be what, who we are, what we do every day. You know, when Jesus says that he is bread, okay, mm -hmm. the bread of life, we had better pay attention to that. Because I think here, we read the Bible, we're spiritualizing, we don't, we don't tend to go much further with it. But, but we really need to do that. Everything about the word 
is this duality between spiritual and physical. I mean, mm-hmm. think about the the feast, for instance. Uh, it, they're just full of these physical signs and things that the people were told to do that represent spiritual realities. Yeah, and get, get your senses involved so that you remember. I, I think the, the biggest uh, you know, participation helps you to remember and senses, you know, the, the, the sense of smell when we're thinking about the foods that we're cooking because we're instructed to do certain things. Those, those, that sense of smell is closely related, re- linked to our memory. Yes, and it always it always reminds us, points us back to the Father. Right, and and, and he and God knows we're physical beings yes. and spiritual too, but physical, yeah. and we respond that way. And also, you know, the Bible talks about things as patterns mm-hmm. and as shadows of, the, of what is to come. It's what we can see, he, you know, taste, feel, touch here on earth, but they right. are shadows. The whole tabernacle, for instance, mm-hmm. you know, were patterns of things that were in heaven that we don't see, taste, feel. Right. So, you know, Jesus describes himself um, as this bread of life. And guess what? He was born in the house of bread. That's right. Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Yes. Yeah. And only does that have meaning in Hebrew. Mm. Otherwise, to English speakers, that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Yeah. To our audience who may not be familiar, Bethlehem is actually Beit Lechem, which is house of bread. That's right. So when Jesus' disciples asked him to pr- ask, how do we pray? His answer, which we know is the Lord's Prayer, mm-hmm. included a line that says, give us this day our daily bread. Right. Okay, so what is this daily bread? We know that spiritually that Jesus is this bread. We need him every single day for our very spiritual life. Amen. Our, so we need that. But let's now go back and look at physically, what does this mean? Why would he use that analogy? Exactly. There's got to be a reason, right? There's a reason, right, right. (laughs) Not just coincidence, right? right? So physically, we bake bread from flour, right? We get our flour by crushing what we know as cereal grains, like barley, rice, spelt, oats, rye, and of course, wheat. And wheat is what we're going to be talking the mm-hmm. most about today. Now, I want to just briefly, I am not a food scientist. I'm not any kind of scientist at all, okay? But there's three parts of what you would call the wheat kernel, the wheat seed, the wheat berry. That's what is often called a wheat berry. Mm-hmm. Um, the three parts are the bran, which is the fiber-rich outer layer that protects the seed and contains B vitamins and minerals. The germ the small nutrient-rich core that contains antioxidants, vitamin E, B vitamins, and healthy fats, and then something called the endosperm. It's the middle layer that contains carbohydrates and proteins. It is this middle endosperm that we know as white flour. Mm -hmm. That's when you go buy your flour at the store. What's happened is you're getting the endosperm. So we're going to talk about that a little bit more, but let me just tell you why God created this with those three parts, okay? This is what it does for us us physically with our health. The body needs soluble and insoluble fiber. Like Those are like carbohydrates that your body can't digest. They need that for digestion, okay? Our bodies need that. Whole grains have both of these kinds of fibers, So fiber absorbs toxins in the large intestines. Now, I know we don't 
always want to talk about this, but it is important. When we, when our system doesn't flush out, let's say when someone's constipated, okay, I know this is a Bible class, I know, so just bear with me for a second. These toxins get reabsorbed into our bodies. That doesn't sound like a good thing. No, it doesn't. I mean, so I mean, imagine we can make a, a, a spiritual relation. Okay, spirit, but let's spiritual just Spiritual constipation, <laughs> but uh, oh, we won't go there. But we'll let you use your imaginations for that. <laughs> um, so they, they get reabsorbed into the body, which is not good, and that's not how the body was designed. Let's, let's just make it at that. And we also know that almost all of our illnesses – most of you know now, originate in the gut mm -hmm. and it, through digestion. So, so many of our illnesses, inflammatory illnesses uh, in particular, start in the gut. That's true. So these whole grains with all three of these parts that I was just talking about, not only can lower your risk of heart disease and stroke, they can lower your risk of diabetes. They, anything related to chronic inflation, it can help implement. Thank you. Yeah. What did I say? <laughs> inflation. <laughs> inflation. You, you must be thinking oh, about Joe Biden. I was, yeah, I was listening to the news on the way up. <laughs> inflammation, maybe inflation too. I don't know. And guess what? They can reduce your risk of obesity. Isn't that quite the opposite, right? Of what we think. Yeah. Yes. So. The other thing that I found that was fascinating, and I had to go look it up when I heard Sue say it, is our wheat is not genetically modified. Not genetically modified, but well, what it is, yes, up. what it, what it's, what has happened. A couple things have happened. It does get modified. Um, for instance, if you take wheat from one place and put it into another place, it takes on all new characteristics and becomes something new in effect. But that doesn't mean it's genetically right. modified, okay? Right. It's adapting to its environment, and that's a good thing. That could be like a hybrid, uh -huh. okay? Those things can be okay. But for some reason, I don't know what, um, our wheat has not been genetically modified when almost all of these other cereal grains, particularly corn, definitely has That's interesting. been. So has God protected the wheat? I, I don't know. Um, I know there's been efforts to, to try to, to make, make GMO wheat, and it hasn't happened yet. My guess it has something to do with the bottom line. You know, maybe, maybe so. Maybe it's just they can't find a way to make it make money. Maybe by doing so. That. Maybe so. I'd like to think though that that God's protecting it. <laughs> Let's hope Let so. me yeah. think that. Okay. <laughs> okay. So here's a little bit of history. Thousands and thousands and thousands of years, cereal grains were ground, milled, and used to make flour on a daily basis. So early on, people would have had a heavy stone that they would have used to crush the grain. Later on, mills became more and more sophisticated, and communities would have local grist mills where women would bring their grain where it was milled for them. Then they would hurry on home and make the bread for their families that day. But for thousands of years, there were two common factors. When the heads of the grain were crushed, okay, the wheat berry, let's say, all of the pieces were used to make flour for the bread. Nothing was sifted out. So the endosperm, the bran, and the, um, what was the third plate for third piece? Endosperm, a germ, germ thank you, yeah. thank you. All three of those were left in the flour. And 
the grain, the other key was the grain was milled and baked on a daily basis. So mm-hmm. both of those things were true. And okay. both of them are very, very critical. Yeah, they are. It sounds Very critical. So if you fast forward to the early 20th century, we have what? The Industrial Revolution. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good and bad came from that. But major industries were established that took over like the hard work being done in everyone's household every day particularly when it came to food production. Isn't that interesting? So instead of women like canning their own vegetables grown in their gardens, Campbell's, Heinz, Borden, we all know those names, Mm -hmm. led the way in production and distribution of canned foods and then uh, frozen foods, okay? And then they sent these around the world. Well, the same things happened with our cereal grains, the grain industry. How many of you have heard of General Mills? Mm Mm-hmm. I never even made a connection between milling and General yeah, Mills. No, I, it's funny. I read that because you know, that that plant uh, or their headquarters was very close to where I was born uh, in New York, and uh, I, I thought that was fascinating. That yeah. That was so, where the name what, came so from. what does General Mills? Yeah. What did they do? They milled. Okay, surprise. So in the early 1900s, and I found some really interesting history on this with pictures from early General Mills plants, mm-hmm. they had something that they uh, someone invented called the steel rolling mill. And what it was able to do was it was able to separate the germ and the bran out from the endosperm, okay? So what you got was white flour. Right. Okay, so the same white flour that we all buy that's what they had. And in fact, the brand and the germ was sold as animal food. You know, that's, that's it's so interesting that, that we would, I mean, what was the appeal? Do you know? What was the appeal of the white There was flower? something what? about the um, cleanness of it, I think. Yeah. Um, un- looked unadulterated. Uh, oh, what, because, oh, because, Gary, when you mill flour and leave everything in, it's got brown specks in it. Uh, okay, so you can see all of that in the flower. So when I've been milling my flower, I see the brown specks. It's not as pretty. Huh. Yeah. And was it was the shelf life maybe better too? Well, that- so, so here's what happened, of course. You separate it, you increase the shelf life. That's uh, the key. There you go. There's the that key. That makes sense. Okay, because you take out the, the oils and the other things that would... Uh, cause it to degrade quicker, the endosperm can last much longer. The uh-huh. white flower without the bran and without the germ. Okay, now we're getting back toward the bottom line. Yeah, okay, we're absolutely at okay. bottom line. Absolutely. Yeah. So the problem, though, is, remember I told you what was in the bran and the germ. The white flower has 35 to 40 fewer nutrients than the whole grain. So these are vitamins, minerals, amino acids, even probiotics, okay? Mm. So you that's all out now because you're just using the carbohydrate-rich endosperm and making the white flour. Now, what's also interesting to note is whether or not people understood it or not for thousands of years, when grains are crushed, they lose most of their nutritional value within 72 hours, but that wasn't a problem back then because everybody just went home and baked their bread My right then. Daily bread. As soon as you yeah. bake it, Gary, those minerals and vitamins get locked in there. Mm. And in fact, you can even put it in the freezer and freeze it for a while. They're locked in. But you can't just mill your flour and leave it sitting around. The longer you leave it sitting around, it does lose all of those vitamins mm. and minerals. So 
daily, yeah, daily bread. bread. It's all they did, coming but they together, couldn't have it? even known that back then. It, That's just what they it did. It doesn't seem, but you know, again, these principles that were passed down, instructions. Uh, I would, I would have to. It has to have come from God initially, right? It, yes. These instructions for them, and why, that's why you hear these references being so easily understood by that 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 population. Again, exactly. Not what, what's the old saying? You know, we if we don't know what it meant to the original audience, you don't know what it means. Now we're starting to understand. Now that. we're understanding. I like yeah. that. That's yeah. a very good point. So when so, what happened then is. And, and you can read all of this. Anybody who wants to read about this, you can read all of this. Is quite a few diseases started to spring up after we made this big change in our milling process. Things like beriberi, pellagra, anemia, all are deficiencies that were caused by this uh, taking all of these nutrients out of our bread because bread was still a staple mm. in everybody's diet. I know we talked about, you know, Gary and I love watching The, um, the Chosen. Mm -hmm. And... There's the scene where Jesus comes home to his mom's house and she says, join me for dinner. Mm -hmm. I have just baked bread, right. challah bread. That was their dinner. That was their dinner. With a little added raisin. That yeah, Jesus the raisins. Like, that's but... a whole different thing. <laughs> Jesus said he didn't like raisins. And nor do I. That's something I have in common <laughs> with you. the man. Okay, good. <laughs> so, so they were just eating the bread. Yeah. Okay. That was that was a staple. Cereal grains were such a big part of their diet. So now I'm going to go a little further with this physical side of this story. Okay, mm -hmm. with the history and process of milling. milling. Um, I'm going to read straight from an article that I picked up, and it said, low grinding was the unsifted flour from a single pass through the millstones or the mill. This flour had what they called 100% extraction, meaning it contained all the parts of the original grain. The flour made dark, hearty bread that retained all of the original nutrients of the grain. However, the wider grades of flour were always more desirable to the higher classes, and they were therefore more expensive. High grinding, as opposed to low grinding, was flour that had been reground multiple times and then sifted extensively to remove the bran and the germ. Doing harm and not even knowing it. And not knowing it. And, and I grew up making bread. We had a sifter. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember those. You oh, yeah. squeeze yeah, the sifters. Yeah. yeah. And so we were sifting. We were sifting. Sifting wasn't a good thing. No, okay. but that was what we did. That's I mean, what we did. I remember doing it for my mother in the kitchen. You That's know, just, right. You know, running that shit sifter. Yep. So, hmm. The Bible talks, okay, remember this, this paragraph said something about the high, higher classes, the wealthier people liked the white flour, mm -hmm. okay? What does Proverbs 23, 1 through 3 say? When you sit down with the ruler, know well what is before you, and put a knife to your throat if you are given to gluttony. Do not crave his delicacies, for that food is deceptive. That is fascinating. <laughs> it's so specific. It's so specific. And yet, Gary, I have read that before. And it meant it nothing to, to me until I started learning about the bread. Sure. And then it made perfect sense. But obviously it makes perfect sense to God. He knew exactly. You know, this kind of comes as a one of those, you don't have to always understand in order to obey. That's right. Good point. You know, yeah. so he says, don't crave what these wealthy people are eating. You know, 
what else do they eat? Things like caviar and, you know, all these well, wild, sure. ex, you know, exotic kinds of things that are unclean. Uh-huh. Yeah, bottom dwellers. Exactly. Yeah, 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 that's a great point. I mean, I, I would not have put it together with the bread until now, obviously, but it's. I it's, never it's ever thought about it till I started thinking about the bread mm -hmm. and, and learning about the bread. You know, it's, it's ironic that when they. Uh, I, I watched a whole show about learning about how they came to sliced bread okay mm -hmm. <laughs> and so um, very very important but they were they were talking about wonder bread mm -hmm. all right interesting that they name it that because it's the exact opposite okay <laughs> that white white flour making that white not white bread wonder. so wonder bread not so much now here's some another really interesting history um, that that I, I found it said although the United States seized the opportunity to improve the efficiency of their flour production system great Britain was slow to adopt the newly improved technology. That's those steel, steel mills. Mm -hmm. So th they grew soft wheat varieties. So it was not until the 1900s when the United States began exporting surplus wheat to England and Wales that they needed to use roll these ro steel roller mills. Okay, When this occurred, there was a lot of backlash from the British Medical Society due to the fact that the roller mills produced less nutritious flour. They knew it back then. Well, they did know it. So in 1924, I'm going to read what this Dr. Charles Edward Shell wrote in the British Medical Journal, 1924. Mm. Well, Gary, why don't you read that? Okay. Yeah, why don't you read that? When the steel roller, it was the roller flour mill, were introduced into the country from America, a vital injury was inflicted on our national well-being. Wow. The flour, in parentheses, lacks the proteins fat, vitamins, and mineral constituents present in the original grain, providing only an emasculated substitute, which is not merely ins insufficient, but also directly harmful. Wow. Wow. <laughs> For a dietary overloaded with starchy material produced fermentation and flagellants, it, it, <laughs> yeah. it, it, uh, it favors the developmental development of an abundant intestinal flora embarrassing to the <laughs> digestive economy burdensome to the gastrointestinal organs and favorable to a free development of increased uh, virulence of such path uh, pathogenic microbes as many obtain access to the intestinal tract well that's a mouthful that's a mouthful but what so he's saying he's yeah this is this is introducing things you don't want in your into your ancestral system yeah. okay so these pathogenic microbes Okay, or in there, increased virulence causing viruses and illnesses that they he did know back in uh, in, in 1924 that this bread was directly related to these digestive problems. So what happened, Gary? I I I don't know the answer. Was that suppressed? Was that information? I have to believe it was that the industries, the food industries became powerful. And so that information was probably suppressed. You know, the old saying, nothing new under the sun. Right. You know, when I, when, I, when I read that and a doctor, somebody from the British princess in the medical journal, and, and it's not that obvious, and then we, we keep doing it. All I can think of is what we're seeing today, and I don't want to go off track, right. but we're seeing today with all the damage being done by, uh, by experimental injection for COVID, right. and, and yet the people who are crying out about it are being suppressed. Yeah, exactly. So is this what happened here? And for the last 100 years now, we've been eating 
garbage, things that were, that are not healthy for us, even though they understood it back here. Right. And somebody is making money. Yeah. And, and that's that, always it. There it goes again, back to the bottom line. Yeah. Exactly. It, it, it was just, you're not, you're not going to stop us. We're making right. too we're much making money. We're making too much money. Boy, yeah. that sounds familiar. Yeah. You know, Isaiah 55, I, I love this one. It says, why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I'll, I'll make a point that, remember, listening in Hebrew is listen and do. So mm -hmm. listen to God. Eat what is good. Um this is the richest affair yes. to eat what is good and from God. Kathy, you, you're making this beautiful connection here between uh, practical instruction, uh, things that, that God provides for us to, to survive uh, physically, and the connection between surviving spiritually. So when you pointed out Isaiah 55, I, I felt I just wanted to look at the, the overall context of that. that Always prophecy. important. Sure. And so you just you just talked, you just read about the, the idea of, you know, not spending your money on things that are not bread. And I looked at this It's one of my favorite passages in, in uh, Isaiah. Verse six um, talks about seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Well, Kathy, isn't God always near? Isn't he always, you know, the ability to find him should be, you know, obvious. He's, he's always here. So what did Isaiah mean? I fully trust that he meant we have one lifetime, one lifetime to seek him, find him, and do what he says. So I, I continued in this chapter, and I, I was amazed to look at verse 10 and 11. It says, for the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth the bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. And what's the simile here? What does he compare it to? He says, verse 11, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. I shall not, it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall, it, it shall prosper the thing which I sent it. So what you're, what you, you've got this beautiful picture. What you're saying here in this entire podcast is this connection between the physical uh, health and prosperity and the spiritual physical health. I mean, uh, spiritual health and prosperity. They're connected, and that's what God is doing here in and through Isaiah, making this this beautiful, very clear in very that clear. verse. I provide you with the bread that you should eat and 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 prosper with for your health, your physical health, and I provide you with the word that will give you spiritual. And wouldn't it be like the enemy to separate that, those truths, to try to keep us from both of those things? A divide and conquer, another form of that. I right, think. right. <laughs> he doesn't want us, the enemy doesn't want us to be physically healthy or spiritually healthy, yeah. okay? And God wants both of those things. And, and, and he tells us in his word very, very clearly, but it, it takes a almost like a huge paradigm shift to okay. kind of see it. Yeah. Can I, can I use another um, chosen reference? Oh, I think you can. You just reminded <laughs> me of. Uh, there's a scene where, where Simon the Zealot comes running back, back into the camp and John uh, starts chiding him about the, you know, put a shirt on, you know, the women are going to get up soon. He says they're already up. Anyway, he said, John starts writing him about, it. he says, I think you put too much emphasis on the physical. 
and not on the spiritual. And Simon says, well, try eating a batch of poison berries and see how spiritual you are. Something of that nature. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. So it's connected. You ha- we need our physical health in order to, you know, to be able to focus and concentrate on what that the purpose that God has given us. A- absolutely. So I think yeah. the enemy is all too keen to keep us unhealthy because, right, when you feel bad, it's very hard to be spiritual. Sure. Yes. Sure. God knows Very that. hard, yes. You know, in 1948, the government realized that it had a problem with these diseases, okay, <laughs> and that they had taken these nutrients out. So in 1948, they put three of the B vitamins and iron back into the flour, mm. and they called it enriched. <laughs> oh, come it on. It was a start, but You know, so way what short, happened right? was 35 to 40 nutrients had been taken out. Wow. And so how deceptive is that to call it enriched when you just put three or four back? How many people knew that they had taken all of those out. People probably didn't understand that. They just liked the taste of their Wonder Bread. I'm from the government. I'm here to help. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) You know, yes. Okay, so that leads us a good segue. My next line here, Gary, is speaking of the brilliance of government. Okay, so all of us remember the food pyramid, okay, that, you know, of how what was supposedly healthy eating from the government. Well, now we have something called the food compass. And some of you may have heard of this because it's relatively new. Yeah, I did hear this. The, the Friedman School of Nutrition Science and the Policies Food, uh, and the policy, policies food Compass, they call it the Food Compass, unveiled in late 2021, okay, so it's fairly new, okay. Friedman School of Nutrition and Science is another... Great reset tool designed to discourage the consumption of animal fats by or animal foods in general by mm. falsely rating them as unhealthy and encouraging consumption of ultra processed foods by giving them high nutritional ratings. So they go through and rate all of these different foods according to this food compass. Okay, this is brilliance. Uh, <laughs> brilliance. Food compass rates frosted mini wheats as three times healthier, healthier than ground beef. That's amazing. It gives high scores to French fries, Lucky Charms, Honey Nut Cheerios, chocolate-covered almonds, and while rating whole eggs, fried in butter, cheddar cheese, ground beef as foods that should be avoided. Based on this tool, you'll be healthier if you replace a whole egg, cheddar cheese, and ground beef with candy. (laughs) There's man's brilliance. Man, I mean, I don't think you have to be a scientist to know that's counterintuitive. I mean, oh my gosh. Crazy. And yet, things like this food compass go on to inform, for instance, our school lunch menus. So that's what's really horrifying about this is that these interest in um, money again it's always money well you know think about it. you introduce all this garbage and then you introduce your solution pharmaceuticals that's exactly what it is right and you have these kids sick all the time oh, all the time it's so sad, it's so sad. It's tragic actually So what we're going to do now, though, folks, we talked a little bit about the physical. Now let's go into more spiritual. Let's look at Torah. And where an obvious story that we would see this idea about bread is the story of manna from heaven, right, Mm -hmm. in Exodus 16. And the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. 
In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. Now listen, folks, what I just read. Gather enough for that day, Mm -hmm. daily bread. And then it says, I'm going to test you and see if you'll follow my instructions. All right? So everything God gives us, but it is a test. Are you going to listen and obey? Yeah. Okay. I I think we're taking that to a new level here. I, I think we are. And then it goes straight into a Sabbath instruction. So all tied together, this obedience, this daily bread, and then ultimately it will be tied in with their health, okay, Mm -hmm. or their lack thereof. So we see that talked about. Now, we know in the story of Joseph, which we've talked about a few times recently in recent podcasts, that Joseph saved his family by storing grain in preparation of a worldwide famine. Mm. So when stored properly, whole grains can last for years and years and years. And the Joseph story had to store it for seven years, right? Mm-hmm. During the when they had abundance, they stored it for seven years. Gary, I've been making loaves of bread from grain that I've had stored since it says on the top of the can, 2010. Wow. So I've got Joseph beat. <laughs> I've got him beat by about seven years. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And the bread tastes fantastic because it stores so well. I mean, you have to keep it airtight and keep yeah. the animal, you know, um, the bugs out of it and oxygen, but that's all doable. Yeah. You know, and again, it's so I, and I've done it. I did it. So I'm, I'm, I'm speaking from experience in this. So uh, wheat in particular can be stored for years and years. There are some exceptions. Oat and brown rice don't store as long because they still have some of the oils in them. The way that they're created, the oils are, you can't separate them out. Mm, okay. So they'll spoil. So they'll spoil a little, a, a little uh, quicker. So... Genesis 47, we brought this up in another podcast, but once again, I just want to remind you. To, uh, Joseph said, today I have bought you and your land for Pharaoh. He was talking to the Egyptians. Okay, mm-hmm. remember, they got so desperate for food during this famine that they sold themselves to the government. There's Everybody a- but the elites, you know, the elites always have plenty. Never have to, they're, all, they're always taking care of themselves, right? Yeah. But also in this story, the Hebrews, because God was taking care of them in Goshen. They had plenty in Goshen, abundance, it yeah. says, in Goshen. But the other people were desperate because they were, they, they were not obeying God, following God, being set apart. Remember we talked about Goshen and they were being set apart Uh uh, by God. So these desperate people were willing to sell their birthright, their freedom for the food, just like Esau. Yeah, we've talked in the past too about that going back to governments, totalitarian governments, making you dependent upon them. That's an old pattern going all the way back to Nimrod. And we see it here. You know, Joseph using it to to prosper Egypt, but as all the time, a people it's a pattern. set apart. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a pattern, and and we see how we can be set apart from it, or absolutely, and how we should always fight for freedom within our. In our yes, yeah. absolutely. That key about being set apart, and we talked about this a lot in our uh, two podcasts ago about Goshen. Mm-hmm. Okay, and the importance of being set apart during a time like yeah. this. So. This famine 
that happened in the story of Goshen uh, and G.E. Joseph in Goshen and uh, Egypt. Mm. That's what I'm trying to say. Is the famine a pattern? I, I, I believe that famine definitely is a pattern in the Bible, talked about multiple times in multiple stories. Mm-hmm. So we saw in Genesis 47, this what they said was worldwide famine, the world as they knew it then. Sure. There was no food in the earth. But Gary, let's just look at now where we are in 2023. Um, we know how high food prices have gone in the last six months, year, Mm -hmm. okay, they skyrocketed, we, you know, 20, 30% more in some cases, particularly we're recently been talking about eggs. Okay. Yeah. I, I, you know, eggs are worth their weight in gold. (laughs) Yeah. We've witnessed over the last few years, all these food processing plants being destroyed by some type of quote unquote freak accident or. or That just happened again to the the chicken plant. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah. Burned in to the ground. Yeah. So what's going on, right? So, so we understand high food prices related to food shortages. Now we don't understand it in this country the way they understand it in other countries. Okay, yeah. which are much worse. But we are getting a taste for that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you go, if you fast forward now to Revelation six. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come. I looked and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, two pounds of wheat for a day's wages and six pounds of barley for a day's wages and do not damage the oil and the wine. Mm. What we're talking about here is hyperinflation. Due to food shortages, sure exactly like what yeah. we're going through right yeah. now, but but maybe worse there, oh, yeah. which course. we would not have, like I said, in America even understood a few years ago, but now we do understand. Yeah, when you start seeing the, the shelves, food uh, food shortages, and, and shelves being empty over the uh, for for now, it's we had going never on. seen that before, no, and, and now we see it quite regularly. Years, regularly, yes, yeah, you know. Just a, a quick side note, I don't want to go down this trail too, too much, but that last line intrigued me about do not damage the oil and the wine, mm-hmm. because apparently the wheat has been affected, right? Okay, in this this future famine. But the oil and the wine, oil is all always olives, okay, mm-hmm. and the wine is the grapes. So... It's interesting to to look at that and go, what exactly does that mean? Now, if you look back to the plagues, um, it says in Exodus 9, when the hail came, it said the flax and the barley were destroyed since the barley was ripe and the flax was in bloom, but the wheat and the spelt were not destroyed because they were later crops. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, it was a time of the year thing that's why it was protected why it was not destroyed so the wheat was harvested april may grapes are harvested july august and olives are harvested september october so this could be a reference to a time of year Mm. okay could be interesting okay i I think that's kind of interesting and then i've heard some other things um where they've said that believers we have a connection to both olives and grapes we're grafted into the olive tree of israel as we've said over and over and remember yeshua himself said i'm the vine and you're the branches what he's he's talking about there is grapes Mm -hmm. okay so could it mean that there's a protection for those of us who have this connection to olives and grapes, maybe. Yeah. I, I don't know. That would be a nice thought, too. That would it? be nice. <laughs> uh, Psalm 104 says, 
Uh, it talks about wine that gladdens the human heart, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. And in these cases, the wine is talking about joy, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and then it's talking about anointing with the oil and courage with the bread. So all of these things do have kind of spiritual connections, connections yeah. some metaphors for mm -hmm. other things that would be, we don't have time to go into it in detail, but just my, my brain started to go that way a little bit. It's like, what does that mean? But so I just find it interesting and, and you can certainly in our audience look uh, more into what that might mean. We're not going to know exactly what it means until it happens. Right. Yeah, I love it. And, and that's really a, a Hebraic principle. I mean, exactly. I think our Greek minds always want to try to figure out. We always everything. want to try to figure it out. But I'm trying very hard just to go with patterns. At least that's sure. the only thing that we can count on is yeah. those patterns. And be aware when you see it. Happening. That's right. Yes. So even this concept, though, is reinforced. OK, here's pattern. Psalm 37, the blameless spend their days under the Lord's care and their inheritance will endure forever. In times of disaster, they will not wither. In days of famine, they will enjoy plenty. Mm. That's okay. a nice promise. That's a nice promise. Hebrew, the word blameless is tamim. It means complete or sound. And it is the same word used to describe the condition of sacrificial animals. Mm. Um, that's a condition we only have if we're in Yeshua. Okay. That's the only way that we can have that complete. But so I find that that's a really interesting connection there. That's Psalm 37 in days of famine. They will enjoy plenty. If you go a little further in that Psalm, it says, I was young and now I'm old. Boy, that's mm. true, right? Okay. <laughs> yet Sadly <I've>, true. <laughs> and yet I've never seen the righteous um, begging. Uh, no, but let me read this again. I've never seen the righteous fors forsaken nor their children begging bread. Amen. That's amazing there too. Righteous yeah. zadik, which means lawful. Okay. Mm. Those uh, who are lawful, following God's word, following God's law, following God's Torah. Okay. They're not forsaken and their children don't beg for bread. Mm. They are always generous and they lend freely. Their children will be a blessing. I think this is really key, Gary, is the things that we're learning about God, the things that we're learning about bread, they're not meant for us to hold on to. Mm, they're meant for us true. to share generously. And it's in this generosity that God provides blessing and protection too. And, you know, we see that in the story in 1 Kings 17 with Elijah and the widow of Zareph. Zarephath. Okay, yeah. okay, you say that better. Yeah. All right. Which I did look up Zarephath just to see what it meant. It means smelting place, a place where metals are refined. Wow, what we're talking about here is they were living through a famine, mm. and she was living in a place where metals are refined. And remember, that which is not gold or silver gets burned up, yeah. but gold and silver gets refined by that same fire. Mm. So this famine was like a fire testing. Wow. I, that's the way yeah, I see that's it. Good. And she served, she was refined, and she made it through. So Elisha said, uh, don't be afraid, go home and do as you've said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. So they've had no rain. Mm -hmm. 
And so she went home. She did this. And so there was food every day for Elijah and the woman and her family, for the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping what the, with what the word of God had spoken by Elijah. Mm. So in sharing her meager amount, she had enough where she was just, she, she had said early, I'm, I'm going to go make this meal, then we're going to die. That's how much she had left. You know, that was it. And yet she does this in obedience to this man of God who said, Mm -hmm. this is the word of God. She does it and God provides for her in her generosity. So this wheat that we might store up is not just for us, right? If we can keep it. But we, uh, but we are to share it with others. We are, I believe, we are to share this information about the bread and about the wheat with others. Don't keep it to ourselves. Mm-hmm. But, oh. And you've been doing a good job of that. Sharing, I'm the bread sharing. lady, Gary. You're the bread lady. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Proverbs 31. We all know uh, the Proverbs 31 woman, right? Mm-hmm. And we're not going to go into that talk, but it does talk about an interesting phrase, the bread of idleness. Mm. It talks about this woman. She's clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. I love, love, love that line. Yeah, it's uh, true. Just, you know, whatever the future brings, huh? Yeah, I, I'm ready. Yeah, we don't have to wring our hands and be anxious. I you know, laugh God, yeah, at the yeah, days yeah. to come. What a way to be. I, I love it. I think there's might be a whole podcast there. It could be. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Mm. You know, I don't think anybody nowadays feels like they're idle. No, but it is a danger. Being idle, having too much time on your hands can get you into a lot of trouble. And I don't think it's just that, Gary. I think the idleness is when you're doing things that are not what God wants you to do. Mm. Okay? They're not purposeful. They're not in God's purpose. Where I don't think there's probably anybody listening to this who feels like they're not running. I always say like running around with a chicken with his head cut off, <laughs> yeah. right? Okay, an yeah. old phrase. What did that mean to its original audience, right? <laughs> But, but I think what's happened is we've, tr- uh, we've traded those things that are important, like preparing healthy food for our families. We've substituted other things. And now I don't have any time to cook dinner, right? That's what they're saying. That's what people say. I don't have time. We're going to stop off at McDonald's. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's not that they're idle. They may have been doing something all day, but was that the thing that they were supposed to be doing? That's a great point, Kathy, because all the things, all the conveniences of our lives that have happened since the Industrial Revolution were supposed to save us time. Time for what? The time to fill our lives with things that now that we're running, like you said, running around crazy. Uh, it doesn't seem that we have more time. It seems that we have less. It seems of it like we have less. If That's we what don't I'm saying. stop and do these things. Exactly. So yeah. I think we've just traded out. Okay, and I think we've traded out what we should be doing for things that we shouldn't be doing. And I'm not going to go into more detail in that. But, you know, it started even back in the 1950s here in our country. Remember, I do remember this TV dinners. We still have them. So we don't always call them TV dinners. Now, I still call them TV dinners. Store bought instant dinners. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Frozen dinner or whatever. You know, 57, those were introduced post war. And it was meeting a need. Mm. There was a trend toward this this lure of time saving modern appliances. Yeah. There we go, time saving. Time saving, exactly. Okay. And they said the fascination 
with the television. Wow. Okay, that's well, a whole. You, well, <laughs> well, you know, but see, if you if you limit the amount of hours you spend in front of that tube, um, you, you have, have you time find, to bake you bread. <laughs> well, you know, I was just thinking about that because I've watched my wife Darlene build, baking these breads, getting things done in the kitchen. I mean, spending quite a bit of time doing a lot of you know nice, beautiful baking, good mm-hmm. food. You know, sharing it with her family and sharing it with others, and um, that where did that time come from? Because she's spending it doing the right thing, I guess. I don't know. But we're we're all so busy. Everyone knows how. I mean, we have a special needs daughter, and I know your life is busy with taking care of your your family. Um, yet, God provides opportunity when you're doing the right thing. It, it's amazing. I think that that's exactly where I was going with this. Is that for too long we've outsourced our family's health to big business mm. and big business does not care about our family's health yeah. at all. Yeah. We care about our family's health. And I have heard stories from people that I know, you know, children dropped off at daycare getting sick and a parent saying, I can't come get my child. Mm. It, I'm too busy to do this. Wow. Okay. Sick child. And we've, to me, we've got priorities that need to be re-examined. Mm, I'm not going to blame busy mothers, for instance, but um, I think society has, tri- has deceived them. The enemy has deceived them. Mm. And so they are pursuing things that maybe are not what's best and not what God wants as their priority. I will always, always say unapologetically that our families are our priority. Taking Mm -hmm. care of our families is our priority. Mm -hmm. However you want to do that, I'm not going to try to judge that one way or the other. But if we're not doing that and we're accomplishing something else instead, I think that's the, that, that, idleness that it was talking about in Psalm 31 is a different way of looking at it. It's the spending time on stuff that just doesn't matter in the long run. The tyranny of the urgent. Exactly. I I think it's a whole idea of misplaced priorities. And you know what, folks, this is the time of restoration. If that feels uncomfortable to you, maybe, maybe you do need to, to stop and rethink and consider. Um, In fact, The prophet Haggai says exactly this. Give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. For most people, what we've been doing hasn't really been working, especially related to our health. Yeah, it's true. So I hope that this podcast has caused you to start thinking a little differently about your health and the health of your family. Maybe it's caused a bit of a paradigm shift for you, as it's done for us. God wants us to be healthy, and he's given us everything we need to be healthy, both spiritually and physically. But as usual, Satan has managed to corrupt these things, these good things, and deceive many people. But this is the time of restoration of all things. And I think this includes bread, the way God intended it in our (laughs) diets. You know, Yeshua said it's written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's in Matthew 4. I do want you to know that he was actually quoting from Deuteronomy 8 when he said that. He He said exactly came from Deuteronomy 8. 
I hope you've seen that the very real connection between the physical and the spiritual realms, God designed our bodies to be nourished by physical bread and our souls to be nourished by spiritual bread. Anything short of that is death. Mm. Wow, it always comes down to choices we make, doesn't it? Mm. Oh, I mean, almost every one of our choices boils down to choosing life or death, too, Kathy. I mean, this big this ones, is, little ones, it doesn't is. matter. It, you know, because yeah, because I mean, de- death by what was it? Death by a thousand uh, pricks, pricks, or, or, so, yes, or yeah, exactly. Like. But yeah. yeah, when we when we death by a thousand bad choices, bad of, choices, the, the and they could be eat. little ones, yeah. little, like saying, "I'm going to use, I'm going to eat Wonder Bread mm. rather than take the time." Right. To make this bread. Right. So, I mean, it, it doesn't happen immediately, so we think we're okay. But in the process, we're being malnourished and uh, things change over time. Wow. Uh, Deuteronomy 30, starting verse 15, here it is. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you and bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed." You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witness against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life. And he will give you many years in the land he has sworn to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Shalom, everyone. Shalom. Thank you for listening. Please join us next time on Torah Talk.